things to mention before our uh, scripture reading this morning. We do have fun at our announcements, and uh, I enjoy that. But I do want to mention one thing about uh, the Grace Partners Christmas Fellowship. Well, a couple things about that. One is we won't receive a regular offering, so your regular offering that you save up for that week needs to be uh, given to Andy. Uh, he will have a, a box or a, uh, a uh, offering tray that you can you can give him that, and as we have guests in other churches, we don't want to collect one offering and have each church collect their own offering. So the way we're going to do it is just have you give your offering uh, to Andy. If you don't know already, we al already have a available to us. You can pay um, right, right through the Internet, through PayPal, if you'd like, and Andy can show you how to set that up. Uh, we already do that, and so it's a convenient way to, to pay without actually having to write a check out. So if you want to learn how to do that, it doesn't cost you anything, doesn't cost the church to do that. Uh, that comes immediately out of your, your check. <clears throat> you don't have to wait for the check to clear. It comes right out of your account, so you can, you can keep your accounts uh, regular. So see Andy if you want to get more information about doing that. Again, several of us are using that already, and you are invited to do that as well. The other thing about our Grace Partners uh, Christmas Fellowship, uh, we already mentioned we need a lot of help with that, and so um, uh, I would like to meet with those who are part of the, uh, the food committee uh, tonight, um, right after evening service. So if you are available, if you are part of that food or uh, decorating committee, I want to meet with you uh, right after evening service tonight. If you can't make that meeting, Please see me so I can arrange a, a better time for us to meet. But we're going to plan a meeting tonight after evening service. <clears throat> All right, our scripture reading this morning. You're going to need uh, two hands. We're going to read a passage in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament today. Our New Testament passage is Colossians chapter 3. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. And our New Testament passage is going to be Numbers 11. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. And as you turn there, would you stand with me as we listen to the reading of God's Word? Colossians chapter 3, let's all stand together. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. The Word of God says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you would turn in the New Testament passage to Numbers 11. Did I say that differently? That's Old Testament. I'm sorry. 
I've put numbers in the New Testament. <laughs> numbers, Old Testament, chapter 11. Numbers 11, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tiberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of uh, bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. We see a contrast between numbers in the Old Testament, the grumbling of the people, and the thankfulness that is what we are to put on in the New Testament. We'll be speaking on this passage in light of Thanksgiving coming up. God, give us understanding in the teaching of his word today. Let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you <clears throat> today. We thank you for your goodness. Open our eyes that we might see more of your goodness. Help us as we read your word, as we listen to your word being taught today, that um, you would allow us to take in your truth, that might impact our heart. It might open our eyes and let us see ourselves, not to be looking at others, but to see ourselves and how we're prone to complain and what that complaining shows about what we think and what we believe and what we think about you. And so, Lord, we pray that as you reveal to us our heart, that your Holy Spirit will also um, encourage us to turn from that which is not pleasing to you and to take in your truth and your word in such a way that it's lived out in our lives 
and our lives are pleasing to you. Our thoughts are pleasing to you. Our actions are pleasing to you. And uh, it's not just a put on, but it's a, a real heart change. So we pray, Lord, that you would do that with your word today and that we would give you the glory in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Heart, a heart of thanksgiving or a spirit of grumbling. A heart of thanksgiving or a spirit of grumbling. Going through Colossians and Philemon, here in Colossians chapter 3, we see that a heart of thanksgiving is to be about a part of everything that we do. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17 in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body, and be thankful. As we let peace rule, as we realize that we are called together in one body of Christ, we are to be thankful. Not act thankful, but it is to be a part of us. Be thankful. In the next verse, he says, and let the peace, excuse me, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So thankfulness is to be in our heart and is to be sung out in our, in our songs. It is to be a part of us as we interact with each other, as we encourage each other, as we admonish each other, as we interact in all ways. Thankfulness is to be a, a regular part of that. So Thanksgiving isn't just a day. <laughs> it certainly isn't about uh, turkey and, and dressing. Thanksgiving is an everyday, 24-7, part of our lives that we are to live out. Then that last verse, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so what I thought to do today is to look at an Old Testament passage that, that gives us a story and it really helps to speak the message loud and clear. Uh, what is the opposite of thanksgiving or a thankful heart? It is a complaining, a grumbling uh, spirit. And we, we see that. Now, as we look at it, we're tempted to, to, to go, yeah, look at those Old Testament Israelites. They were pitiful people. <laughs> but we should also see ourselves that we are prone to uh, uh, complain. And let's look at some of the aspects or what, uh, what is entailed in complaining and how it speaks to, to our heart. I pray that God will speak to our heart today as, as we look at his word. In verses 1 through 3, we see a general complaint and how God deals with it. I'm in Numbers 11 now. Not the numbers in the New Testament, the numbers in the Old Testament. <laughs> it, there's a general complaint. It says the people complain in the hearing of the Lord. By the way, is it everything in the hearing of the Lord? <laughs> 
So you can't just come in church and say, I'm not going to complain, but then you get out in the car and you, you, know, you start complaining to your family, complaining to your spouse, complaining about this and that. Everything is in the hearing of the Lord. It says, uh, but they begin to complain in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Think about that. You, you know, the, my thought is, well, well, what do you mean? Of course I complain about misfortunes, right? I don't like bad things. I don't like negative things. I only complain about the bad. <laughs> I, I like to play um, in yoked um, uh, where, where Mildred and Irving are, are, are interacting and, and, and Irving just giving that impression like, look, if you would take care of my socks, I wouldn't have anything to complain about, right? In other words, we only complain when something doesn't happen that should happen or something happens that shouldn't happen in, in our estimate. We only complain about misfortunes and that's what they were complaining. I, I thought to myself, well, uh, you can ask that question, what was their circumstance? What was going on? What were some of the challenges in their life? Before we kind of point a negative finger at them, what were some of the challenges going on in their lives? Well, they were going through a trip through the desert, right? <laughs> and so they had all the kind of hazards that desert life has, right? <coughs> Including hot, too hot. And too cold. Desert has that, doesn't it? You've ever been in the desert in the daytime, the sun is blazing, and it's too hot. And it gets toward the evening, it gets very cool, it can be too cold, right? You don't have enough to eat, you don't have what you want to eat, you know. Even, even nowadays, when we're driving in our mo modern vehicles, if you drive in a desert place, there's a long time before the next gas station, right? <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? If you have kids, you hear that uh, so many times. And so there are a lot of reasonable circumstances that will cause one to consider complaining. There are some circumstances that, that, that aren't uh, good or aren't nice. And, uh, it, you know, it talks about here, their misfortune. So they were traveling through a desert time. Another thing they were doing is that they weren't just traveling. They were wandering. They were going around in circles. They weren't getting anywhere. So they, they, they were on, a way, on, uh, they're on their way somewhere but not getting there. That's a little frustrating, right? You know, we tend to get frustrated. Um, you get lost uh, when things aren't right, when you're trying to get somewhere. You ever, you ever have to be somewhere at a certain time and you can't get there? Either the traffic is tied up, you get frustrated, or, or you turn down the wrong street. I'm a school bus driver for, for, for little kids in the morning, and when we first took on our routes, I had to go in a new area, and I made one turn down the street. And I knew it as soon as I made it, but guess what? That, that cost like 15 minutes delay. Because you can't just, you know, pull in somebody's driveway with a 40-foot bus and, and back up and turn around. You've got to go all the way around and then circle back to get on the right side of the street. So sometimes those delays, they, they, they are frustrating to us, especially when we feel like we're going nowhere fast. You ever have that happen in your life? Maybe on your job feels like that. You're getting nowhere fast. It's a hurry-up-and-wait situation. And so they were frustrated by some of the things in their life. And so they, they were getting nowhere. They were just circling around. And, and uh, so we can, we can relate to some of those things that we face um, 
in, in, our, in our regular lives. Look what happened, though, when they began to complain. It says, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. So from the first three verses, we can learn a couple of things, is that complaining often is a part of our regular life because we have misfortunes, things that we don't like that happen every day, right? When you have a day that goes perfect, you kind of get scared, don't you? <laughs> like something must not, something is going to go wrong just to kind of balance this all out. <laughs> but the other thing we can learn is that God does not, he is displeased with our complaining. Now there's a difference between talking about what's wrong and complaining. We'll, we'll, we'll see that. In fact, I want you to kind of see if you can, can put that into words as we go through this passage. What, what is the difference between those two? We're tempted to say, you know, I'm just telling it like it is. Um, I'm just assessing the situation. Uh, or am I complaining? There's also a difference, and we'll talk about this, there's the difference between complaining and praying. And uh, we'll, we'll see what that's like. But we see here God is displeased with complaining. It says he, his anger was kindled. Now, God doesn't just get mad over nothing. Something wasn't right. And, it, and uh, he also acted upon, uh, he, he, he chastised them for this complaint. It says, the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. That's pretty serious, isn't it? So God really doesn't like complaining. In this situation, it was uh, something that um, he judged them for. But in verses 4 through uh, 15 or so, uh, we're going to see a specific a situation. This is now the rabble that was among them. That's just kind of the group, the mixed group that was there, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, oh, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, oh, I can just taste it. Isn't it good? But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, if that sounds like a complaint, yeah, it is. We understand a little bit about their circumstances. They were getting nowhere. They were eating the same food every day. What was this food? It was manna. It was manna. What was the manna? Manna was a special provision that God had given them. It's something that when we begin to complain, our attitudes deteriorate to where God's blessing now is no longer good enough for us, and we're not content with it anymore. The one thing, sometimes, you know, those things we prayed for and God gave us, and now we complain about now, right? The job we got, right? That car we got, right? Or, you know, we happy with the car, we just ain't happy with the payments, right? Complaining about that, right? 
That husband or wife that we got, that we prayed for, the whole church prayed for, now we're complaining about. Even those little things in our lives that, that we get, and they were something that, that, that was a blessing at first, and now it is a complaint. What happened? Well, well the main thing that happened is, is, is not just here. I was going to point to our head. It, it's, it's our heart. In other words, how we are, are, are reasoning and thinking and desiring about things that, that has turned God's blessing now into a curse. So Israel begins to complain. How do you think that affected Moses? I, I, I kind of have a thing that complaining is contagious, unfortunately. <laughs> you, when you put yourself around people who complain, it's easy for that to rub off on you. That's one of the reasons why we need to read God's word on a daily basis. It's because we catch thought that's not wholesome. And we don't even realize it. And we gotta, we gotta wash and rinse. <laughs> we we gotta renew our minds in God's word because we'll get caught on a thought that 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 uh, uh, is deteriorated and deter deteriorated thinking, and and it, it affects the way that we think. And now, ask how did this affect Moses? I wanna I wanna break that apart a little bit. Did it make Moses complained? Did it cause Moses to complain? Or, I don't want to say it that way, actually, because nothing made Moses do what he did. He complained out of his own will, out of his own heart. It's a contributing factor. It impacted him. It affected him, right? Look at what happened. Verse 4, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of, of Israel also wept, and again, and we read those, right? Let's go on to verse um, 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. So you get the sense that Moses is just hearing it everywhere. Everywhere he turns, he gets the complaints again. Now, you can imagine some people are probably talking to themselves or Moses can hear. And I could also imagine that a number of people are coming up to Moses and saying, something's got to be done, right? You in charge, Moses. We coming to you. And, and so he gets word of this. And it, it begins to, uh, he does something with that. Let's see what he does. Middle of verse 10, it says, The anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Now Moses asked a number of questions here, and I want to ask us to look at these questions with this in mind. What do these questions reveal about what's going on in Moses' own thinking? All right? What does it tell us about what Moses is thinking? And, and we're going to apply that to ourselves as well as we, as we kind of walk through it. He says, verse 11, Moses says to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor 
in your sight. I think one thing it reveals about Moses is thinking, he thinks God is mistreating him. He thinks that God is mistreating him. He says it. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Servant meaning Moses. Now ask the question, is God mistreating him? Is there any question there? No. Does God mistreat anybody? Think about it. Does he? No. Mistreat would mean to treat them properly, I mean improperly, right? To treat them wrongly. Does God mistreat Moses? No. But Moses begins to think that way. God is mistreating me. Because of the stuff that's in my life, I feel like I got a raw deal. Well, who gave you that raw deal? Think about it. Oh, it just happened. No, Christians don't believe that way. In fact, the world doesn't even believe that way. <laughs> we'll get into that as we go. He also says, verse 11, why have you not found favor? Why have I not found favor in your sight? That you lay the burden of all this people on me. He thinks that God no longer favors him. Does he believe that hardships in his life means that God has changed his favor on him? Does he believe that God's favor is only seen when good things happen to him? Is that how we view our lives? Is that when something bad happens, God is, 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 is no longer favoring me? Let's say it another way. He don't love me no more. Something happens. Maybe something happened in your life. You get sick. Maybe a loved one dies. Maybe you have a car accident. Maybe it's something just simple. Your car ran out of gas in the middle of the freeway. God, why did this happen to me? I prayed this morning. I read my Bible. I've been going to church. I've been doing what you said. Why did this happen to me? Is it, is it Moses' opinion that bad things happen because God, I have fallen out of God's favor? Is it, is it Moses' opinion that, hey, when I do good things and right things, when I'm a good person, good things happen to me, therefore showing God's favor? You see this question? Why are you treating me like this, God? You don't like me anymore. You don't love me. I'm not yours anymore. He begins to question God's favor of him. Verse 12. The last part of verse 11, that you lay the burden of this people on me. He thinks his burden is too hard for him to bear. Now, isn't that a common thought? Yeah, it is. Now, see, see, we, see we have a problem. <laughs> As theologians, we understand the teaching of God's word, and it says certain things. But as real-life, everyday people, we experience some things that seem to be in conflict, right? 
So, so, so we know, we know 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's, there's no hardship or temptation that, that is upon us. God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted or burdened or, or oppressed above what we, are, uh, what we are able, right? So we know the teaching of God's word that no, no situation in my life is beyond uh, uh, my ability to, to bear because God has controlled that. But when we face it, we go, oh, Lord, I can't take this. I can't take this. And we're saying to God, this is more than I can take. And, and really what we're saying is more than I want to take. <laughs> more than I want to take. And why are you doing this to me? Notice how God's sovereignty is, 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 is kind of it's, it's assumed there. In fact, as Christians, we often get mad at God because we believe in his sovereignty. In other words, saying, God, you're in control of this. How come you let this happen? I know you can control this. They say, well, how, what am I to think? How, I know that God is in control of every situation. Why does he allow this to happen to me? Let's ask that question of Moses. What, what do you suspect? What, what in fact, is God doing in Moses' life? It seemed like we started in this chapter, it was the people who had this problem. It was the people who complained. And, and I was content to, to see that, but then when it gets to Moses, I'm like, uh-oh. Moses is complaining. See, I could say, well, you know, that's the old Israelites. You know, I ain't like that. I'm a spiritual person. But then when Moses began to complain, uh-oh, it's getting a little closer to me. Am I one who complains? Am I facing my life situations and circumstances like Moses? The people of Israel complained because of their misfortunes, because of the circumstances they saw themselves in. Moses now is complaining because of his circumstances. Good Lord, you made me leader of this people. I ain't asked for this job. Lord, you brought these people to me. I, I, you know, I had changed. I had left, and I had made up another family, and I was going my own way, and now you connected me, reconnected me back with these folks, and now you made me their leader. And look at them, right? He sees God's control in all of this, and he's saying, why, Lord? He thinks his burden is too hard or it's unfair for God to give it to him. Now we know the answer to that, that it's not too hard and it's not unfair, but we also relate to how Moses feels. He feels like that. He also feels like it's unfair for him to have to provide for all of these people. It, it's interesting the way he he. He spells this out. Did I conceive all these people? He's having a conversation with God. Did, Lord, where did these folks come from? Me or you? Right? And the answer is, not me. Now, he's assuming, though, and we often do this, what adds to our anxiety, what adds to, adds to our burden is we assume responsibility that God hasn't given us. 
Moses, in his despair, has assumed that God has made him responsible for providing for this people. Let's think, think about that. What did God make him responsible? God made him responsible for leading, by faith, these people. Not for providing for them himself. It's a comfort when we begin to see what God has made me responsible for and what I ought to leave to him. By the way, here's the difference between complaining and praying. Complaining and praying. In fact, one of our, um, in in our catechism, we were talking about Philippians 4. But everything, be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything by prayer, and supplication, make your request known to God. So he is saying that don't be anxious and worried, but pray about everything. Here's the difference um, we can point out between prayer. Prayer acknowledges and accepts the sovereignty of God. Jesus taught us how to pray what? Our Father in heaven. Starts out prayer acknowledging the sovereignty, acknowledging and accepting the sovereignty of God. Now, now, what do you mean by that? Acknowledging, because I think the world acknowledges it. The world acknowledges that God has control of things. In fact, we blame him for that control. But prayer... The difference there is we acknowledge and we accept. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, this is how you should pray, our Father. So it's it's acknowledging and accepting the sovereignty, but also, and this is the difference between the world and, 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 and believers, is we joyfully acknowledge God's sovereignty. In fact, we know that God is good and he's acting on our behalf for our good, and so when we pray, we're saying our, who? Our Father. Not just God, judge, but yes, he's God and yes, he's judge, but he's also, he has a personal relationship and a personal interest and a personal love for me. And so when I'm complaining, I'm ignoring that. When I'm praying, I'm acknowledging and embracing that. Our Father who is in heaven. So I'm enjoying his sovereignty. Second thing about prayer. Well, in contrast to complaining, complaining blames and rejects the sovereignty of God. In other words, it may acknowledge that God is in control, but it doesn't like it. And in fact, blames God for that. Now, I'm not saying that this is how one person thinks and this is how another person thinks. I'm saying as believers, <laughs> we're tempted to complain and think this way. And this is what that thinking does. We are complaining and we are rejecting God's sovereignty. In other words, God, I didn't like that you stood me up in the middle of the freeway with a, with a flat tire. I don't appreciate that, Lord. That's what complaining is saying. And it's true. That's how we assess that situation. I don't appreciate it. I don't accept it. 
It ain't good for me. I don't like you telling me that it is for my good. I don't see nothing good about it. That, that's what we're doing. And that's exactly how we feel. You say, well, I, I, there ain't nothing good about that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Think about Moses' situation. What is God doing with Moses? The people have complained, and Moses begins to complain. So Moses complains. We're we're dissecting kind of his thinking on this. And the next step we're going to do is look at at what he does as a result of that thinking. And we're going to look at what God does in result of that thinking. But we did say that this complaining as compared to the prayer. Another thing that prayer does, prayer seeks God and turns to God for answers. I have written down what we already referred to, that's Philippians 4, uh, verse 6. Prayer seeks God and turns to God for answers. Um, actually, uh, another example of that would be Matthew 26, 39, where Jesus in in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he says, nevertheless, thy will. He's saying, Father, when he came to that difficult situation, he comes to his Father and prays, seeks God. He he accepts that, that the power and the sovereignty and the control that God has, and he's seeking answers from God. I would love to have relief from this, but... Whatever you will, I want to accept. That's what prayer is pushing towards. Now, I'm not saying that, that we, we're perfect in our thought, but that's what we push. That's, that's the goal. That's where we are pushing towards, and we need to recognize that complaining is doing the opposite of that. Complaining forsakes God and points and blames God. You know, that's when we're sitting on that freeway and, and, and we get out the car and we go in our trunk and there's no spare tire. And there's no jack to jack up the, the car. And guess what? It starts raining. Right? And we got our dress shoes on and we don't have no umbrella and we don't have, you know. And so we're going through this and we're just ready to just throw it out. So we get our, our cell phone, right? And we turn and the battery's down. Right? But we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got a charger in my car, and I left it at home. Right? And so these things are backing up one after another after another, and we just had it. That's where Moses is. That's where Moses is. And he's saying, God. By the way, we can say Moses is praying to God. <laughs> he's, he's talking to God. However, he, he is in his relationship with God. I mean, he, he's a little different than me and you. <laughs> but, but he's communing with God in some way, and he has just had it. Everything that could go wrong has seemingly has gone wrong for him. And he's saying, God. I didn't bring up these people. It wasn't even my idea. It was your idea all along. And now look where you got me. So that, 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 that complaining versus prayer, complaining forsakes God and points to him in a blaming way. Now, what we ought to recognize is that we, we, we do have that. We go through that in our, in, in our walk. 
sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm afraid sometimes when I think myself that I'm past that, <laughs> then here comes this week or here comes this day where God shows me my real self. And it's humbling. He said, no, you, you ain't quite as far as you thought you were. And he, he kind of he just opens our eyes to who we are. But even that is gracious. Because until Moses gets to the end of himself, he doesn't really begin to trust in God. We got everything taken care of and we can handle it. We, we have a tendency to trust in ourselves. And God is, God is saying, look, I'm, I'm going to pull you away from that so you can begin to see me and trust in me. Now I ask the question, how is God working through all of this? Is, is God just trying to uh, frustrate Moses for the sake of frustrating him? No. God is graciously working in Moses' life to bring him to trust in the only worth, only worthy one worth trusting in, and that's God. God is, is, is working in Moses' life. Now, God's working in your life too. He's working in my life too. Those frustrating situations that you know we don't sign up for, but God brings on anyway. God is bringing that so that we might turn wholeheartedly to him. Look what Moses does. We, we, we analyze his thinking, right? He, he begins to think that God has given him too much. He, he begins to think that God has abandoned him, that God is mistreating him, that God does not favor him, God does not love me. See, God, you don't love me no more. All this bad stuff has happened to me. By the way, aren't we amazed sometimes when we look back at ourselves, what brings us to, to, to even turn on God and start blaming him? What has happened so far? Moses has heard people complain. That's what's happened. Moses has heard people complain. That's the extent that brings him to this point. He has heard people complain. Now, I say that in a, in a demeaning way, but we also know what that feels like. Moses has had the weight of uh, 1.5 million people knocking on his door. We would imagine that email message is galore, right? When you going to do this? How you going to win? You know, just Moses, 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 Moses. When he picked up his computer that morning, it's like boom, right? <laughs> Voicemail, text, email, Twitter, you name it. Everything was loaded down on Moses to where he couldn't get away from it. Everywhere he turned, folks complaining to him about him. It wore him down. So that's his thought. He thinks wrong thoughts about God. And do we challenge all those thoughts? None of those are true. None of them are true. You say, well, that's how I feel. People said to me, you know, um, perception is reality. That's how I feel. That's where I am. 
That is where he is. That is how he felt. But it wasn't true. Does that matter? Yes. Why does that matter? It's because it's the truth that God uses to bring Moses where he needs to be. Moses has been dragged down in his thinking by his circumstances, and we can understand that, but it doesn't change anything about the truth. God is still faithful. God is still true. God is still good. God still loves him. God still favors him. God has still chosen him to lead. God is still with him. God has not abandoned him. God, God's glory, God's love, God's provision is all there for him. All, nothing about God has changed. Nothing about God's promises have changed. Only thing that's changed is Moses' perception of all of that. But because his perception changes, his whole demeanor changes. Because his thinking changes, he has become something. I think, and so I become. Moses thought wrong, thought, wrong thoughts, and so what does he become? He becomes, one, discouraged. He has thought this wrong about God, about himself, and he has become discouraged. He has thought this wrong about God, about himself, and he has become deeply depressed. Look what it says. Verse 13. Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. What he's saying, I give up. I can't do this, God. I can't do this no more. I'm done with this. What's wrong with his thinking? He's assumed the responsibility of providing for all of these people. Now, they helped him do that, didn't they? By worrying him, by nagging him, by asking him, demanding meat, right? And he's assumed this responsibility. But is that what God had for him? Is this a responsibility God has given to Moses? No. God says, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people. I'm going to bring them out in Exodus. I'm going to bring them out with a great hand. And he says, Moses, pick up that rod and watch what it becomes. See, it wasn't the mighty hand of Moses that led these people there. It was the mighty hand of God. God told Moses, take that rod and, 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 and touch the waters with it or spread it across and divide the sea. It still was not Moses' mighty hand that did it. It was God's might and God's power that provided and protected and, and, and delivered God's people to this point. So Moses is wrong in assuming responsibility for what God has already taken responsibility for. Some of us simply need to confess to God that I'm worrying about my son, I'm worrying about my daughter in things that I cannot affect. I cannot change their health. I cannot change their state. I in other words, God did not give me that responsibility. And so prayer is taking that and giving it where it belongs. God, this is your responsibility. 
Now, God, you're sovereign, and you're going to do it your way. I can't demand here. But it's not my responsibility, Lord, it is yours. Moses simply complains, I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. You see the difference between praying and complaining? He's not saying, Lord, please provide. He's saying, I can't. Ah, 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 ah. The focus when we complain is the problem becomes big and it's personalized. It's me. Instead of seeing it, God in his power addressing this problem. So Moses missed it, didn't he? But that's what we do. So he goes from discouraged to depressed. Verse 15, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Aren't you glad God is gracious? <laughs> he doesn't just say to Moses, okay. You ain't got to say it twice. I'm done with you. He doesn't do that. God is gracious. God is good. Moses was wrong by saying, you don't favor me. Of course God favors him. Of course God favors you. God loves you and favors you. But he wants you to think right. And he wants you to be right. Moses was thinking wrongly, and so he had become depressed. I want to ask you, how is God working in all of this? What is God about to do? His servant has begun to complain, and he is, he's at the bottom. He's saying, Lord, if this is the way it's going to be serving you, then just take me out now. And, and end it for me. I'm done. I don't want this job no more. I can't take it. I, I'm, I, I'm just looking for the way out. I know you are sovereign. I know you got all power. I know you put me here, and I don't like being here. Take me out. God begins to minister to Moses. What we see in the next couple of verses is what God does. I'm going to let you read that on your own this week and kind of meditate on that. But I, I'm not going to leave you in suspense, though. Here's what we're going to do. Let's talk our way through it. And what, the reason why I want you to meditate is you need to see how God is doing this in your life. Now, the Scripture opens, us, opens our eyes so we get a window into Moses' life. Here's what we're going to see. <clears throat> is that while Moses was thinking wrong thoughts... God already had a solution worked out. Moses had a real issue. He had a real problem. He was overburdened with a sense of responsibility. God was going to work on that. It was a genuine a concern and a genuine need, but God was already working that out. Some things Moses thought wrongly of how was he to provide all the food for these people. First of all, they ate. They just didn't like what they eat. They wanted meat instead of bread. And they wanted it now. Right? It's like a two-year-old. No, I don't want a hot dog. I want pizza. No, I don't want hot dog. I want pizza. 
Johnny, you want to eat your hot? No, I don't want hot dog. I don't want pizza. And you know, after three times, you know what? No, I don't want hot dog. I don't want hot dog. And he just goes acting all kind of crazy. I don't want hot dog. I don't want hot dog. I want pizza. And you know what you can say as a parent then? Here's pizza. You know what he's going to do? Yeah, I don't want pizza either. Because <laughs> what he's saying is, I'm just ticked off at you. Because you didn't give me what I wanted when I first wanted it. And so nothing you do can make me happy. The question is, is God Moses' genie? No, he's not. He's not there just to satisfy Moses and to make him happy. He is God. But as a loving God, he recognizes he's going to bring Moses to the place of trusting and depending. And that also means being satisfied in him. He provides for his great need. He, he takes Moses and he says to Moses, I want you to go get 70 leaders from Israel. And I want you to gather them. And, and bring them here. I am going to put my spirit on them so that they're able to do the job that they need to do to take the burden off of you. This isn't Moses' idea. He didn't come up to God and say, look, God, I got a proposal for you. You know, I've been studying this thing over, and uh, I've got all these responsibilities laid out here. Why don't you give me 70 men and, uh, you know, they'll take care of that. The reason why I say it that way is we're not smarter than God. We're not more loving and concerned than God. He knows what we need. And he lovingly provides for us out of his grace. And that's what he does with Moses. He's, Moses, while you are complaining about this whole thing, I'm already got it worked out. I wanted you to see your need for me and to begin to trust in me. So that's what he does. Now, what about the food for the people? <laughs> He, he works there too. You see, the people don't need meat. They want meat. In fact, it says at the beginning of this passage that, that, that they, remember verse, what's verse 4? The rabble that was among them had a strong craving, right? In other words, they lusted. They lusted. And we can talk at another time what our complaining spirit does. It, it, it changes how we look at, at God's blessing. They, 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 were, they were looking at the stuff from, from Egypt as better than God's blessing. And they said, we had all this stuff, didn't cost us nothing. We got it for free. Really? They were slaves. They didn't, they didn't get paid for nothing either. They were slaves. They, they conveniently forgot that and looked back as if everything was so great and it wasn't. That's what complaining, a complaining heart gives us a wrong attitude of God and his provisions and his grace in the past. Um, even our, our poor situation, our, our, the, how, how low we were, it, it, it confuses all of that and puts the blame on God. But what we see here is that God does something for them. He gives them food, but he gives them in such a way that they... They understand his power and his grace and even his love to provide for them in a special way. And he gives them such an unlimited supply that they, begin, they, they become gluttonous. And because of their own sinful lust and desire, 
they, they, they eat themselves, literally some of them eat themselves to death. So God is in his grace and in his judgment acting on behalf of his people to bring them to trust in him and to show that satisfaction is only found in God. Our passage in the New Testament admonishes us to be thankful. This shows us what the difference is and what the contrast to that thankfulness is. We ought to be thankful for where God has taken us from. We ought to be thankful for what he's doing right now in our lives. When we begin to complain, we become blind to what he's doing. And he's still working in gracious ways all around in, in so many parts of our lives. When we're tempted to complain, we need to, we need to look at the areas, not just count our blessings. Yes, we need to do that. But we need to <clears throat> ask God to open our eyes that we might see his provisions, his blessings, his goodness, and trust and rely on that. Here's the truth is that as long as you live, you're going to be able to find something to complain about. As long as you live, you'll be able to find something to complain about. You're in Christ. As long as you live, you will also have more to be thankful for than you have to complain about. That's a fact that God guarantees. So my prayer is that we begin to see our own hearts begin to thank God for his goodness, begin to open our eyes to all that God is doing. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for helping us to see, making things plain to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn, continue learn about who you are and what you're doing, what you provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how great that is, how you meet all of our genuine needs. You continue to meet them. So open our eyes so that we might truly be thankful. We might see your blessing, your grace, and your provision. And thank you in it and thank you for it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.